As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest dive into all things Major League Soccer. With two games left for most teams, who's in the running for the playoffs? Who's overachieved and underachieved this season? And just how wrong was Joe Lowry about Charlotte FC in their debut season? Can we even quantify his wrongness? We're going to find out. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me here today to discuss the 22 season so far is the aforementioned Joseph Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hey, Ryan, I feel like we can quantify my wrongness because I feel like in this case, it's either you're right or you're wrong. And based off of my preseason predictions, I was a little bit wrong about Charlotte, although I would say I wasn't that wrong about them. Either way, I was technically wrong. We shall get into that later. You were in good company in the wrongness stakes as well, Joe, I lied at the start of the season. Thank you. That means a lot. That's It's all about company. If you're going to be wrong, at least be wrong with other people, you know? Yeah. That's that's right. Indeed, Joseph. Um, so let's get straight into it with the MLS chat. First, Joe, I'd like to get your overall impression of this season so far. Have you regarded the soccer of this season as high quality by MLS standards? I mean, it's, it's I ask because it's kind of the first, I'm going to put it in air quotes, normal season in a couple mm-hmm. of years without disruption, right? So what, what's your thoughts been there so far this year? Honestly, I don't think this is the best MLS season we've had. I think there are really compelling storylines, and we'll get into those storylines later, between teams that have, have had really good seasons or really good runs or really good improvements. I don't know that I would rate this year quite as highly as, as even bits of last year in terms of the quality or or even, you know, to go back before the pandemic, 2019. I, I think there are not quite as many really high-quality teams this year, as there have been in years past, I think back to 2019, and I'm looking at the table right now, you had a really good NYCFC team that finished on top of the Eastern Conference. You had Atlanta United directly underneath them. Then you had Philadelphia and Toronto filling out the top four. Those were dangerous teams. Those are really dangerous teams. That's just the East, right? Then you look over to the West, and you had LAFC's record-breaking or then record-breaking season, and Seattle right under them in the Eastern and in the Western Conference, excuse me. This year, there are really good teams, and like I said, a lot of compelling storylines, I'm not sure the quality of soccer has gotten that much better. The talent in the league has certainly gotten better. I think that's a clear trend over time. 
But yeah, mm. a, a good season, maybe not the the best season or a season that we'll truly remember on the whole. But again, those specific things I think will really stand out even a few years from now. Is that opinion, Joe, clouded at all by, and I mean no offense by this, but like you mentioned there, say the Sounders or Atlanta not doing as well as one would expect. Is it because some of the bigger sides haven't quite performed that it affects the overall quality? Yeah, and I don't think that's something that a lot of folks like to hear because, well, I mean, I don't know what people like to hear or not, but I think one thing that MLS sort of touts is how even it is, right? Anybody can win. Your your team's competitive all the time, and there's some value in that, right? That keeps things interesting in a way that major European leagues just can't offer, right? And we're seeing some of that right now, actually, with the Bundesliga, which makes it more fun. I think people are enjoying that aspect of it with a team like Union Berlin at the top of the table, when Atlanta United are stuck down in ninth in the table and the team that won the Supporters' Shield last year in the New England Revolution are all the way down at 11th in that same Eastern Conference table and the Sounders are sitting in ninth in the West with the post-CCL Blues, you know, there is something to be said for those teams being good and being compelling. And other teams have stepped up to fill the void, but I think there is still something of a void left when those teams aren't good. Not that it has to be those teams, right? Maybe those teams are, are sort of out of the top tier list for now and other teams will step up to fill their place and we'll start to get more of a feel of who those teams might be year over year next season and the following year but I think right now MLS is still trying to figure out who those teams are that they can expect okay you're going to be reasonably good next year if not great because in MLS there's never a guarantee that a team's going to be great but I think we're starting to see some of the ramifications of those really good teams from years past not being so good this year um but parity good right that's the whole point isn't it? Uh, what do you think, Ryan? Right? I mean, this is something I've written about a little bit for Backfield. I, I think there is value in parity, right? I get legitimately, you know, bored sometimes thinking about March and April and, and some of those months trying to watch Serie A or trying to watch La Liga or the Bundesliga, the Premier League a little bit less so because I think they found maybe a better balance. But MLS for me goes a little bit too much in the opposite direction. But that's just my view. Ryan, what do you think? I like it. I, I actually I do like it, Joe, because I know there's there's a certain comfort in the European leagues when you know that Juventus are going to be in the top or near about. So maybe Juventus is a bad example, but you you sure. know that PSG are going to be at the top of the French league. But I love the fact that you can have like Austin in there. What is it? This the, the second season, isn't it? Uh, yeah, second third season. Second season. They're they're challenging right at the top of the West, and Montreal doing the same thing, and and then having some of the bigger boys have sort of. Do we call, we call them building years? I don't know what we're going to call them in this context. But I think it's really good, and it's the whole point of the system. It's the whole point of the, well, the draft system, certainly in other American sports, is to have achieve this level of parity. So I'm all for it, frankly. And um, I also cheer for the underdog always, and I always root for chaos. So why wouldn't I love it? I think those are all valid points in, in favor of this parity idea. I think the problem is... It's harder for people that are trying to get into MLS. And Graham's asked me this, right, on listener question shows or past MLS shows, right? What what teams should we watch, right? Listeners have asked this before. You know, I'm trying to get into MLS, what teams should I watch? And I can always give some sort of answer, right? This year, I'll, I'll probably give an answer of LAFC and the Philadelphia Union, although the Philadelphia Union aren't playing this really aesthetic style of soccer. They're playing Red Bull ball and, and bashing it around, and there's value in that. But, I mean, it's hard to pick out teams that are must-watch. And that, to me, is a luxury that a team that, that a league like the Premier League could afford because everybody loves the Premier League and everybody wants to watch the Premier League because of the brand they've established. MLS doesn't have that brand. They need must-watch teams. They need villains. They need stars. And I think when you're, when you're all about parity all the time and the, the roster rules are built 
to enable teams to be mediocre and to not have them be punished and to enable them somehow to find the right mechanisms to bounce back the next year and other teams to be punished because they can't spend everything they want to spend, that makes it harder for villains to pop up. That makes it harder for stars to pop up. That makes it harder for good teams to stay good. And that, to me, is is maybe not exactly where you want to be as a league that is is very much still fighting for its identity and fighting for a place at the table in terms of soccer leagues around the world. Yeah, that's fair enough, Joe. All right, why don't we get into the playoff picture, have a look at some of the uh, teams who might be competing for MLS Cup this season. We'll start off with the aforementioned uh, Union Philadelphia, as I've just decided <laughs> to call them. Undefeated in seven, a uh, couple of 6-0 wins they had a few weeks back, which were quite impressive. Um, what You say they're not playing the most beautiful soccer. What are they doing right, Joe? They're doing just about everything right. So style aside, right, Jim Curtin and Ernst Tanner, head coach and, and, and chief soccer officer, Chief soccer officer for the Philadelphia Union, they don't they don't care what I think about how they play. They play really good soccer, right? Even if it isn't the most aesthetically pleasing stuff. They play out of this 4-4-2 diamond, and they have gotten just about everything right over the last couple of months. They haven't been perfect in recent weeks, but they are tied with LAFC on points, 64 points, top of the East, top of the West, Philly, LAFC. And they are just about a dead-on, in just about a dead-on tie with LAFC in terms of supporter shield odds according to 538. They have been lightning hot, generally speaking, over the last couple of months. They lead MLS in goals, right? So they went on that absolute tear, which we talked about here and there on Weekend Review. They would drop seven goals on DC United. Then they dropped six goals on DC United and six on Houston. And they were, they were dominating teams left and right. So they lead MLS in goals, and they've also allowed the very fewest goals in all of MLS. And that that defensive bit has been Philly's calling card for a long time under Jim Curtin and Ernst Tanner. They play this 4-4-2 diamond. Like I said, they press. They're not as aggressive with the press this year as they've been in years past, but they're really good at compressing space and making your life miserable as the opposing team when you have the ball. This year, and again, over the last little bit, they've added this new dimension, right? And they're probably not able to sustain this scoring. We've seen it drop off a little bit in, in recent games, but still... The way they've gotten on the board, Daniel Gazdag, number 10 for them, a Hungarian international, has scored a bunch of goals this season. Kai Wagner getting European interest at left back, German German player, is getting a ton of, of looks in the attack. He has a number of different assists this year. I believe eight primary assists and 15 if, if you loop in secondary assists as well. They've just turned into this really efficient attacking force. And when you add that to the defensive structure, they're very difficult to beat. And that's why they haven't lost in, in weeks and weeks and weeks now. This, this shouldn't be surprising necessarily, should it, Joe? They're a team that, let's say, for at least the last three or four seasons have been in and around the top of the division. Yes, yes. Not a surprise to see them be good. I would say it's a surprise to see them be this good. That's the distinction. They are, like, historically good over this stretch run they've been on. So ever since they started blowing teams out, which would be know, sort of towards the, the middle, beginning of July... This stretch has been record-setting, right? They scored a record number of goals over a period of time. They've been blowing teams out left and right. That is historically good and, and surprising. But the fact that they're on top of the East is not really all that surprising. Just the way they've done it, I think, has left a mark on me and other people as well. Indeed. Uh, one last question on the Union for me. Jim Curtin, um, how soon does he become USMNT manager? it's feeling more and more like that could happen every day now. So I, I do think Jim Curtin, I was talking about this uh, with some folks recently on a podcast. I think Jim Curtin out of the coaches in MLS, certainly the American coaches in MLS is the first name that U.S. soccer should be looking at, right? So I'm not saying it should be an American coaching in MLS. I think Jesse Marsh is the obvious name for that job. I don't really know why Jesse Marsh would want that job right now, 
But all that to say, Jim Curtin's got to be close to the top of that list. He's a dynamic play, uh, presence. He's not he's not young, but he's not old either. He has a nice amount of experience, but he has a lot of youthful energy. Still, he has a very clear idea of what he thinks about soccer and how he thinks about culture. I really like Jim Curtin as a coach, and I think he would do well in that job as a national team manager. All oh, right. Uh, elsewhere in the East, the other team wanted to bring up Joe was Montreal. Um, did we expect them to be riding this high at this point in the season? I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I was very high on Montreal. This is like one of the only preseason predictions I got kind of right. right? Oh, so you can do some predictions. I guess I'm not fully okay, right. Good. Okay. So, right. so I can I can predict teams, just not Charlotte or Austin or the Red Bulls or <laughs> you know most teams really. Montreal were good last year. They just missed the playoffs under Wilfred Nance. They just missed the playoffs, but they come back in this year. And they're, they're really good again, right? So they made a couple of moves in the offseason, but really this is a core of players that was here last year and has been allowed to, to go out there and thrive in a system they know, in a system they're comfortable with. If we're talking aesthetic soccer, Montreal might be the best team to watch in MLS. I don't know how many folks out there watch them because they are a Canadian team, but they're exceptionally good. They're sitting on 59 points. They're five points back of the Union. They had a chance at the Shield for a while, sort of a, a rough chance. That's not going to happen at this point. But they are so fun to watch. They're really, really good. They have Kamal Miller, Canadian international, a number of different Canadian internationals in that team, in the midfield, in the back line. And then George Mihalovic, as I mentioned, doing some, some real damage in midfield and in the attack. He'll be headed to the Netherlands once the season is over. If, if you have to sit down and watch one game, I would truly recommend Montreal. You have the USMNT angle. They play some really good soccer. They're just fun to watch, and I'm pulling for them in the playoffs. The improvement this year has been extremely tangible, as evidenced by how much higher they're sitting in the East right now. But this is just a really good team. The building blocks were there last year, and now we're seeing something pretty impressive built on top of those blocks in 2022. Fantastic, Joe. All right, let's move over to the West and the leaders, LAFC, who we've mentioned already. Um, I was lucky enough to get to Bank of California Stadium this season, and it's a very, very impressive venue. Uh, they are a very slick team, or they certainly were when Good I saw them. Good parking lot, right? Good parking lot oh and, and nice gosh. parking fees as well. $50 to park your automobile, Joe. <laughs> what kind of gob would allow that? I don't know. It's Will Ferrell's fault, right? It's Will Ferrell's fault. Yeah, it's somebody's fault. Anyway, California, what can you do? Um, but uh, what, what do we make of LAFC this season, Joseph? Um, I mean, they, they obviously are top, but it hasn't been going their way in the last few weeks. Is that fair to say? No, it was LAFC who were the odds-on Supporter Shield favorites sort of heading into the summer. And now coming out of it, they're level with Philly. So they have they have backed off a little bit, and Philly has put their foot on the gas and then put their other foot on the gas and pressed it down as hard as they can. And so now they're level, right, heading into the last two games of the regular season decision day on October 9th. That's a Sunday. LFC had a nice recipe going, and then they added, right? So they added more pieces, and, and I think there's reasons for that. You know, they're talking about internally wanting to continue to build for, for next season and the season after that, and I respect that, right, because I don't think there's a lot of MLS teams that have the the resources and the market pull and the smarts to go out there and, and build a squad that can compete year after year. And I think LAFC have done something very close to that, if not actually done that. So they go out there and they sign Gareth Bale, right? We know that. They signed Chiellini. That was done a little bit sooner. They signed Dennis Bowanga from France as a, as a designated player. And all of a sudden, the balance seems to be off, right? And I think you're seeing a little bit of imbalance in the squad where Carlos Vela doesn't really press up front. And Gareth Bale certainly doesn't press in the same way that he might have in years past. Steve Tarundolo is already sort of miffed at Chicho Arango, Colombian international striker, who scores a bunch of goals. But, you know, there were comments about Arango's defensive work not being there. And then Boanga comes in and there's questions about how he fits in that front line. And there's not enough spots for everybody that wants to be playing. 
And between that and some of the tactical imbalances I think that we see with LAFC, they start to drop off a little bit in terms of results. Performance-wise, I think they're still playing good soccer. I think they are probably still... They are still one of the two best teams in this league in terms of the talent they have and in terms of how they can break teams down and, and press you and all of that stuff, even with slight imbalances in this team. But yeah, I mean, after the transfer window, this team is is on paper even better than they were before. But in in reality, they're not flying quite as high as they have been earlier this year. And what do you make of the coach, Dietro Dallo? I think he's done well, right? So he comes into a job that wasn't much to do, right, with LAFC. I know they didn't do well last year. They missed the playoffs. People are upset about that, and, and justifiably so. But they had, LFC had a way of playing under Bob Bradley. They had a style. And, and more important than any of that stuff, they had a good squad, right? John Thornton was out there making moves in the MLS transfer market over the summer. They signed a bunch of players from within the league. They fixed the goalkeeper issue, or at least they, they attempted to. Maxime Cripo has been okay, not great this year. But still, that's a massive upgrade. So Steve Schrundle didn't have to do a bunch of the, the squad management, squad building stuff. He comes in. He doesn't tear apart Bob Bradley's identity. He, he tweaks it maybe here and there. But they still play out of this 4-3-3 shape. They still are pressing and and thriving off of those transition moments that we saw from them really in their heyday back in 2019. And they're still playing a lot of nice soccer when they have the ball. So I think Trundle has done a a very good job and has been very wise in not upsetting the apple cart to play his way. Maybe this just happens to be his way. And so LAFC found someone that agreed with a lot of what they built. Or maybe Trundle coming in from Las Vegas where he was coaching their, their USL affiliate at the time. Maybe he was already sort of willing to just do whatever LAFC needed him to do. Either way, whatever happened behind the scenes there, it worked. And second in the West, Joe, as we recalled, uh, the aforementioned Austin FC, uh, who've obviously had a pretty significant improvement on their debut season, yeah. their sophomore season, uh, going from 12th last season up to uh, second as we speak. How closely should be watching um, Austin in the playoffs? How much of a threat are they to get all the way, to go all the way? I think they're a threat. In, in, in that every team, when you make it to the postseason, is very much a threat. So last year, I always think back to RSL beating the Seattle Sounders, beating a, a real favorite in the postseason by taking no shots in, in regulation or extra time, I believe. And so they ended up winning in penalties. That's just how the playoffs go. The playoffs are the great equalizer. Austin, though, has done a lot of great stuff this year. So they were second to last in the West last year. And now they're second from top in the West this year. And that's incredible improvement from... Last year to this year, you have Josh Wolf, Ryan, this happened. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. You have Josh Wolf literally waving a piece of paper with predictions <laughs> from myself and some other folks who are writing for, for MLSsoccer.com, waving this piece of paper with the predictions, pointing at it in front of his players to motivate them with, you know, me predicting Austin would be in 12th or whatever it was and, and everybody else predicting they'd be towards the bottom of the table in the West. And now they're in second. So they deserve to wave that piece of paper around, right? They deserve, they have defied expectations. They've certainly defied my expectations. That, that, I've never been more honored by a coach referencing something. He, Josh Wolf doesn't know me from Adam, but I, I just can't express how great that is that he did that. Austin are scary in the attack. They have an MVP candidate, Sebastian Driussi, who probably won't win, but he comes in from Zenit St. Petersburg in the middle of last season, and now he's really hit his stride. He's scoring goal after goal. He's like this attacking midfielder, second forward, number eight hybrid, all packaged into one. He's great at progressing the ball. He's really technical, very press-resistant. He doesn't create a ton of chances for others. That's mostly been Diego Fagundes' job coming in from the left wing. And then Drew gets into the box and, and, and scores goals, scores a lot of goals and scores bangers. So they're dangerous with him. They're dangerous with Brad Stuver in goal. When you have a combination of a nice goalkeeper and a, a game-breaking attacking talent, you are going to be a handful to deal with in the postseason. 
I'd love to the idea of you going to Montreal and waving your predictions in their face. But like, I knew you could do it, guys. I believed in you. And they're like, "What? Who is this? He doesn't speak French." And also, who is this very pale man? I've never seen him before. Oh dear! All right, so we've covered the uh, the, the 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 leading contenders, arguably in each conference. Anyone else you want to point to who could go and take this thing, Joe? Before we uh, hit a break. Yeah, on talent, NYCFC still have the goods. The Red Bulls with their press are, are dangerous at all times. So there's a couple other teams in the East that I think could do some damage. In the West, Dallas has, has been really impressed and Im- impressive to me, and maybe we'll talk more about them later. But Dallas and Nashville both, they have really good talent. Nashville have probably the MVP this year in Honey Mukhtar. And Dallas have uh, found new life under Nico Estevez, former Greg Baralter assistant. So those two teams I'm certainly keeping my eye on in the West as well. Excellent stuff. Quick break time. We'll have a Capri Sun and we'll come back, Joe. Back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. In the break, Joe and I were just discussing how um, Italy doesn't have Capri Suns despite it having Capri, quite literally, in this country. Uh, I don't know what's going on, Joe. Today, but we're here to talk and Ryan about- loves Italy. Today, man, not as good as yesterday's, yesterday's episode, but still a good one. One of my favorites. I, I like to get my barbs in where I can, Joseph. I love <laughs> America and America only. Anyway, <laughs> MLS talk. Let's talk about um, some some of the surprise stories, some of the breakouts, perhaps, some of the big yeah. stories this season. How about the other Queen City, uh, FC Cincinnati, riding high in uh, in their third season? Yeah, so first of all, how, how do we have two Queen Cities in the U.S.? How did we not sort this out, right? Why, why are Charlotte and Cincinnati both allowed to be the Queen? One of them needs to be the Barbecue City. One of them needs to be the Skyland Chili silly City. And we can just get this. It's too confusing this way, Ryan. I don't like it. I, it. Yeah, it frustrates me. Anyway, in terms of Cincinnati on the soccer field, we'll keep it there so I don't get angry about this whole Queen City debacle. They are, they are on quite the rebound from last year to this year. As good as Austin's turnaround has been, I'm almost even more impressed by FC Cincinnati. Three straight wooden spoons. In MLS, the wooden spoon is, is the tongue-in-cheek award you get when you are the worst team in MLS on points. Cincinnati won that the first year they were in the league, the second year they were in the league, the third year they were in the league. Now in their fourth year, they're sitting in fifth in the Eastern Conference as we're recording right now on Thursday, September 29th. They brought in a new coach. They brought in a new general manager, both from the Philadelphia Union. Again, the culture that Philly have built is truly impressive. Pat Noonan comes in to manage this team. Chris Albright comes in to make some of the personnel decisions from the front office. And all of a sudden, I talked to Brendan Vasquez in Minnesota earlier this year, and, and, and I asked him sort of what is the biggest thing that changed from last year to this year, right? Brendan, you were there the year before, or you're here now. What's different? 
And the first thing he said is clarity, right? Players now understand how they're supposed to play. They have clear instructions from a manager that knows how he wants to play. The roster is being built in a clear way that, that players can understand how these pieces fit around them and how they can contribute to the pieces next to them. All of a sudden, you have Brandon Vasquez trying to break his way into the national team conversation. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but he's scoring goals left and right. Brenner, who they spent probably too much money on in the offseason before, has found his form and is scoring goals in, in that strike partnership. And Lucho Acosta is one of the best attacking midfielders in MLS. There's a reason why PSG wanted him, although I still am kind of baffled by that whole thing. I don't think he's quite good enough for PSG. Either way, there's a reason why teams wanted Lucho Acosta. And then they built in some of the spine behind them. They've signed Matt Miazga to anchor the, the back line. They've been a much better team defensively. That's been their biggest problem this year still as the attack has turned on. Defensively, they've allowed 51 goals, which I believe is the second or third, fourth worst, I believe, in the, in the Eastern Conference. So that's not really where you want to be. But the pieces fit, Ryan. The pieces make sense. They're playing a cohesive style. And all of a sudden, Cincinnati aren't the laughing stock of the league. They're, they're a fun team. They're good to watch. They play some exciting soccer through a, a really quality number 10. And they're getting results. And, and that, to me, the turnaround that they've had this year is maybe the best story in all of MLS. If not the best, it is one of the best. Uh, it is impressive. Less impressive, Joe, is the story of why they're called the Queen City. Uh, it was apparently a journalist who referred to the city once as the Queen of the West in the early 19th century. Uh, Charlotte is the Queen City because it's named after Queen Charlotte, a natural queen. Yeah. So uh, I think it wins. Yeah. Charlotte's is better. It, it, be, between the fact that Cincinnati's not in the West, now maybe that journalist didn't know that at the time, but it, it's nowhere near the Western portion of our nation. Between that <laughs> and just like the fact that Charlotte also has a queen named Charlotte, you know, that's why it's named that. Yeah, this round goes to Charlotte FC. Maybe there's some historical reasons why it was regarded as being West at could that be. time. Could Jay, be, could be, could be. Get into it another time. Let's actually go <laughs> West, though. Why don't we talk about the Seattle Sounders um, in ninth place? What's going on? Yeah, they they kind of bad now, Ryan. They were good, and now they're not so good. They won CCL. Everybody was happy about it. Well, everyone in the United States, I suppose, was happy about it. And now, all of a sudden, they are looking very much like they're going to miss the playoffs. It has been just a brutal turn of events for Seattle, and it kind of starts, Ryan, in the CONCACAF Champions League final, that second leg against Pumas. Nuhu goes off injured in that game, and he's back, and he's been playing. But Jao Paulo, who was a borderline MVP candidate the year before in midfield, they'd signed him from Brazil, just a really good all-around midfielder, can sit deep and distribute, can cover ground and break up plays. He was the perfect player for Brian Schmetzer's midfield. And he goes out with an ACL injury and, and was not going to be able to play again this year. And that was the start, in my mind, of Seattle's injury problems this year. And that's been the biggest thing, I think, that is, has hurt them, right? So Obed Vargas, uh, teenage academy kid, comes in to play minutes in that CCL final for Jao Paulo. And, and now Vargas, midseason, starts having back problems. And he hasn't played. He hasn't been able to play. Certainly wasn't able to play consistently for Seattle after that moment. So they're like three or four names deep on the depth chart at this point, in a number of different spots. So they've had to pull Christian Roldan at times off the wing to cover ground in midfield because they don't have the numbers. They've had to pull other academy or former academy kids up into that midfield. Kellen Rose played eight different spots this year. It, it has just been a juggling act for Brian Schmetzer. And, and to be honest, the Sounders haven't handled it with a ton of grace. This team is a team that I thought was going to be a shield contender despite even a CCL run this year. I think now we know going into next year, even with MLS teams with deep squads, you play more games, right? You have more you have more fixtures on your list. It's going to be harder and harder for you to keep that depth because players are likely to go down injured. MLS teams still don't generally have the quality from roster spot number one 
to roster spot number 23 or 20, whatever that number is, to hang. And Seattle's been sort of a prime example of that this season. Yeah, very strange indeed. It's uh, in a league of parity. It is, is it odd? It is odd still to see the Sounders uh, that low in the division. Um, Joe, we mentioned Cincinnati not necessarily being in the West. Let's talk about Nashville, who are in the West at least by the division. Just for in. now, they're going back, Ryan. They're going back next year. They've yo-yoed. Yeah. MLS pushed them from East to West, and now MLS with St. Louis coming into the league next season is pushing them back to the East. If I'm Nashville, I'm so angry about that, right? Think about all the the different prep you have to do based off of who's in your conference, right? Because those are mostly the teams you play. That is just so inconvenient. But uh, I guess Gary Smith and his staff can handle it. But it makes more sense because St. Louis is further west and arguably sure. maybe in the west, whereas Nashville very much not, right? Surely. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying Nashville should be in the <laughs> west, but I'm just saying it's not exactly ideal for them to have to move back and forth all the time. Of course. Uh, anyway, can we talk about them for a little bit? I mean, you mentioned Hadi Mukhtar as the league top scorer. They've had a reasonably impressive outing this season too. They have. They, they were struggling earlier on this year. You have Gary Smith coming out and, and talking about his team and saying, you know, if we make the playoffs this year, this is going to be the most impressive uh, you know, achievement for this group. Uh, they finished third in the Eastern Conference last year. So I'm sort of struggling to understand why the expectation shouldn't have been to make the playoffs. They've made the playoffs in in both of the previous seasons, once in the East, again in the East last year, now in, and now they will in the West. But there were some weird comments coming out of Nashville. Gary Smith sort of trying to deflect and cover for the fact that they were struggling, even though they very much should be in the playoffs based on the talent they have. And now they are, right? They've sort of turned it up. They were underperforming based off of a lot of their underlying metrics for a while. Now they're back in, in sort of the thick of the playoff field. They, they will be making the playoffs. You have Hani Mukhtar leading this team in the attack. He is brilliant and it's certainly good enough to go back to Germany where he was playing and, and, and go and, and make a real impact for a good Bundesliga team. He's that good on the ball. He runs, he's energetic, he presses, he moves off the ball, and he's creative and dangerous in, in goal scoring and playmaking when he's on it. So he's he's just a brilliant player that's it's must watch when you have a chance to. And then there's other really strong pieces, right? The, the biggest thing about Nashville for their first season in the league, and even last year, I would argue, was their defense. That was how Gary Smith structured this team. Think about them as the dollar store at Atletico Madrid coming into Major League Soccer, <laughs> right? They're coming back. They're playing this compressed style. Instead of Diego Simeone getting really angry and making some some weird gestures on the sideline, you just have Gary Smith, who's very calm and, and composed and British on the sidelines. But it's not a perfect comparison, but stylistically, it's pretty good. And now they still have a lot of the nice defensive aspects of the team. They still have the same center backs, a lot of them that they've been rocking with for a while. They have they have Walker Zimmerman anchoring that back line. They have Dave Romney next to him. They have Daniel Lovitz on the on the left. They have players that have been around Nashville for years now. They made a couple of moves in the offseason. They got, they grabbed Sean Davis in free agency from the New York Red Bulls. He's been a nice piece, especially because Anibal Godoy has been injured. Panamanian internationally has been injured for stretches of this year. They have all of that. But now they're getting real MVP-level production from at least one of their attackers in Hani Mukhtar. They would be probably top two in the West if they had that kind of production or even you know, 10, 12, 15 goals from another player. But they're not getting that. They haven't hit on all their DPs. But still, the defensive aspect and their ability to attack on the counter as that budget Atletico Madrid combined with how good Hani Mukhtar has been this season... That's a huge part of what, what what makes Nashville so scary and why when you ask me about other playoff contenders, I think their recipe works really well for the postseason. Okay. I like Dollar Store Atletico Madrid as a, as a descriptor. That is excellent. <laughs> and I just need to point out that Gary Smith is the most British name possible. If you just said to me, hey, quick, make up a British name, I'd go, uh, uh, Gary Smith. That'll be it. 
So, and you'd be right. Uh, he is a British yeah. dude. British dude, British name. He's indeed. I believe he played at Welling United, which is down the street where from that where I That cannot be up. a real team. That cannot be a real team, Ryan. Welling, it's a place. Yeah, it's where, um, oh, what's the name? Hounds of Love uh, singer is from as well. Um, yeah, small world, I guess. Is um, the Hounds of Love singer Gary Smith? Because I hear that's a common <laughs> British name. Yes, that's right. Yeah, very, very Perfect. famous from, uh, from Stranger Things. Um, Sweet. FC Dallas. Joe, FC Dallas, who are one place above Nashville as we record. Uh, they were in 11th. They finished in 11th last season in West and doing rather well, too. Another example of a, of a truly improved team. I think this, this falls in a couple of different categories. So one is the talent. So they actually went out and spent money. So they sell Ricardo Pepe last year for a ton of money, like $20 million, something in that range. And they reinvest some of that money into the first team, which is just not something that FC Dallas had done a lot before. So they got and signed Paul Ariola from within the league. They spent a bunch of allocation money to do that. And then they got and signed Alan Velasco, a, a young, talented winger, very technical playmaker type from South America. And, and that just that's a move we'd seen Atlanta United do before. That's a move we've seen other spendy teams in MLS do before, but not FC Dallas, not recently at the very least. And all of a sudden they're going out and making some of these moves. That's one part of it. So they got, they got better. They also traded for Sebastian Legette midseason from the Revs. I like that move as well. I think he brings some, some, some quality in that midfield that they lacked. Now you couple that with the fact that they made a coaching change. So Luchi Gonzalez was fired midway through last season. Towards the end of the year, they go out and, and swap Luchi Gonzalez, essentially. So FC Dallas head coach goes to be an, a USMNT assistant manager. So Luchi goes to the U.S. And Nico Estevez, who was a U.S. men's national team assistant coach, comes to manage FC Dallas. So they do a nice little trade on the coaching lane. And so Greg Berhalter gets Luchi and Dallas get Nico. And it works, right? Nico Estevez wants to play a very USMNT-esque 4-3-3 with a lot of the same pressing triggers, a lot of the same patterns with the ball, and they have some pretty good success. Dallas has been improved pretty much from day one this year. You mix the talent with very clear tactical ideas, with being maybe a little bit more inclined to press or at least having a clearer idea of how they want to go out there and do that stuff. All of those factors combined have made Dallas a, a pretty good team. They are not a great team in MLS this year, but based off of where they were last year, where all three Texas teams we're at the bottom of the Western Conference table, and now two of them are in the top three. Dallas has has improved a ton this year under Nico Estevez, and the investment is a big part of that. I think Estevez deserves credit for that, and the players certainly do as well. But it has been a much better season for Dallas this year. Yeah, uh, Texas team's doing very well, as you say, except for uh, uh, yeah. Houston. Nobody has lost as many more games than they have, I believe, with 17. So yeah. not great for them. Also not great, Joe, for the aforementioned New England Revolution, who are down in 11th in the East. Uh, runaway Supporters Shield winners last year. Once again, my, other, my, my, my questions are, are simple for you today. What happened there? So a big part of this, Ryan, is that the Revs weren't as good last year as the table said they were. So they, they broke an MLS points record, and they deserve a ton of credit for that. But you go back through, and they were winning games in some, just some weird ways, some weird unsustainable ways in that Matt Turner was saving them goal after goal in net, and, and we've seen him do that with the national team over and over and over again. Matt Turner's gone, right? Matt Turner plays for Arsenal now. He played a few months and, and dealt with a little bit of an injury to start the year, so he didn't play a ton, but he did play a little bit for the Revs this year. And, and weirdly, to make this weird story even weirder, they've actually absolutely nailed their next goalkeeper signing. Georgi Petrovic looks like a game-breaker in goal. He is saving just an absurd number of shots, and he's been so good for the Revs this year. So they have maintained a lot of that production and goal, but Matt Turner is gone. Adam Buxa, 
star number nine for them is gone as well. They, they, they've sold pieces on. Tejan Buchanan was a big part of that team last year. He's gone to Belgium. So that's three key players who are no longer a part of this team. You combine that with the fact that even if they brought those players back, Ryan, even if Matt Turner was still in goal and Adam Buxa was still scoring goals up top and Tejan Buchanan was still terrorizing opposing fullbacks, they still wouldn't have come close to 73 points this year. I, I would wager that they would have been much closer to 55 or, or somewhere between 50 and 60 points, which would still be a playoff team, unlike what they look like this year. But that's a big part of this. The other part is they dealt with some injuries this year. Gustavo Bo has missed time. Carlos Hill has missed a little bit of time here and there for a couple of different reasons, right? So they've been missing some talent, and then uh, they just don't have a way of playing, right? That's, that's sort of Bruce Arena's deal is he he's hands-off on a lot of the tactical stuff. He's about trying to maximize individual players, and that's all well and good, but we've seen the limitations of that before. So I'm, I'm not convinced that that style works year over year unless you have absolutely the best talent, but the Revs, because they've sold on a lot of that talent— just can't really get the most out of this way that Bruce Arena wants to play. So you combine all of those things together, and you have a team that that is sitting on the fringes of the playoffs. And at this point, for the refs, four points back at the seventh spot with two games to go for them. It does not look like they're playoff bound. Okay. Joe, I did say that I don't think anyone's lost more than Houston. I'm just checking in the East. Uh, there is one team that's lost more than Houston. Ah. Uh, Wayne Rooney's team. Uh, yes. Anything to say about them? Yeah, the fighting Taylor Rockwells are not thriving in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> they, they just don't have, they sold on a, a bunch of talent as well, which is good because I think trying to establish some sort of an academy to European pipeline it makes sense. I'm not in love with a lot of the, the moves they've made to get those players on, but I, sort of setting that aside, they just don't have enough quality, right? So Hernan Losada gets fired midseason. There were some promising building blocks about how he wanted this team to play and maximize their really lack of talent and investment with an aggressive pressing style. Then we find out that he is like this authoritarian, maybe sort of, I don't want to say morally compromised, but he's doing a lot of weird stuff in the locker room, trying to to you know be obsessive about his players' weight and, and body fat percentages. And I'm sure a lot of coaches are doing that stuff, but the way it sounds like he was doing it was a bridge or two too far. So Hernan Lasada goes, and they end up bringing Wayne Rooney in after a little bit of an interim spell from Chad Ashton. And Wayne Rooney tries to make a bunch of moves in the summer transfer window. And he does do that. He signs Christian Benteke and Ravel Morrison and Victor Paulson. I mean, he signs like seven players that could conceivably start in this team. But they just need time. They need time to gel. They need time to figure out how they want to play. Feels like Wayne Rooney wants them to have the ball a little bit more. But watching his Derby County team, it wasn't immediately clear to me how that team was playing. And it's not clear to me how DC United really want to go up, up about doing things. They just need time to gel. They need time to connect. They need to make more smart roster moves if the ones they've even made so far are smart. They have a big hole, Ryan, to dig themselves out of. It's no surprise that they're sitting on the bottom of the Eastern Conference right now. And it, it probably won't surprise me if they're back towards the bottom again next season. Is a team that signs Ravel Morrison ever regarded as smart, Joe? Not not someone whose uh, reputation follows him very well. No, and, and hasn't been all that good in MLS this year. He's someone that Wayne Rooney knows and has signed before and has coached before. That It doesn't exactly speak positive volumes about what DC United <laughs> are trying to do and about the fact that they may or may not have a, a clear idea of who they want to be. I, I'd probably say they don't have that right now. All right, Joe, a couple more surprise stories to talk about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, NYCFC. Uh, once again, what's happened there? So I mentioned them as a team that I think still has the talent to win MLS Cup, and they will be in the postseason. This was a Supporter Shield favorite coming into the year. They were in, in, in the CCL, right? So they had a chance to make it to the final. They ended up losing to Seattle, I believe, in the semifinals in an all-MLS semi. And 
they sort of do well in MLS to start the year. They have the talent. Tati Castellanos is playing like an MVP. He gets loaned out to Girona within City Football Group, and so they're they're doing their CFG wizardry to try to figure out the, the best thing to do with that, the best accounting move and the best way to help NYCFC, although I, I think the second bid is significantly lower down the priority list for Man City and the City Football Group. Either way, they have Tati Castellanos scoring goals. Ronnie Dial is still there. They're fresh off of MLS Cup. They're fresh off this deep CCL run. Things are going well. And... Then Tati Castellanos goes, and, and Ronnie Dyla goes to coach Standard Liège in Belgium, and now Nick Cushing is their interim coach, former Man City women coach, who's been an assistant for NYCFC for a while, and they do not look like the same team whatsoever. They don't press in the same way, they're not as aggressive, they're much more passive defensively, and not, not passive in that Atletico Madrid, we're going to pick our moments to press kind of way, passive in the we don't really understand how we're supposed to go out there and press to win the ball kind of way. So they're getting picked apart. Ryan Charlotte beats them recently. They, they've lost a number of different games. They're right. not looking like the same team at all. They have not figured out the right way to replace Tati and his goal scoring either. So between the lack of identity, or at least bits of the identity that have faded away, Avengers Endgame style, right? Just t- completely to dust, and, and I don't think they can recover them in time this season. Between that and the lack of goal scoring, or at least the lack of the same level of goal scoring and pressing they're getting from that number nine spot, I think that's why they've fallen off. They still have a ton of talent, right? Maxi Morales is still a brilliant playmaker. They have a lot of young uh, South American talent in the attack. Keaton Parks, it looks like, is getting healthy again. The, the midfield has been a, a weak point for them with all the injuries they've had this year. It seems like they might be getting healthy at the right time, but man, they, they need a boost. They need some sort of burst from this team if, if they're really going to compete in the postseason. I think they can. Now it's a matter of whether or not they will find their old selves in this postseason. Yeah, I the, I watched the the game against Charlotte. Joe, they just look like an absolute shambles in that game. So yeah. I, I thought they were a, a ghost of what they were previously. Um, and speaking of Charlotte, Joe, I'd like to give a little bit of attention to them. I teased you at the top of the show about your prediction, and it, it's not fair of me to tease you because basically every single MLS writer and most uh, MLS uh, analysts uh, put Charlotte at or at the bottom of the league in predictions for 2022 for their debut season. Um, and looking from the outside in, I could see that being totally fair because it had some, I'm going to say, essence of dumpster fire. Is that fair <laughs> to say? Yes, it's, I think that's more than fair to say. Yeah, and, and full disclosure, for those not aware, I worked uh, for Charlotte FC from the day they were announced uh, up until the opening game against uh, Los uh, LA Galaxy. Um, so yeah. I, I sort of saw the team being built from the inside and sort of when you're on the inside, you have a different perspective, I suppose. I'm not going to say like drinking the Kool-Aid, but you 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 um, you ride the belief that the team has, I suppose. Uh, so I, I always had a bit more of a positive view on them. And I'm, I, I suppose it's kind of come true a little bit. We've got Charlotte, what, they're technically still in the playoff race? Kind of? Um, I I've, think so. Mathematically. But with 12, 12 wins on this season, I think a lot, of te- a lot of people wouldn't have thought that this team would get 12 wins on this season. 17 losses as well. But, um, I mean, there's there's lots of positives and negatives in this season, I'd say, for Charlotte. And it has been a bit chaotic in many respects. I mean, in terms of recruitment, I was a bit disappointed in um, that Riley McGree never came and played for the team, who was touted as a big signing and uh, coming over from Australia, uh, deciding to stay in England instead. Um, I went and met him and um, had quite a few conversations with him, and he seemed quite pumped to come to Charlotte as well. So um, that, I, was, I was disappointed in that one. Also disappointed that Sergio Ruiz didn't make it through the season. He's gone back to Spain now. He was a player who uh, the team were very, very excited about. Um, sort of build him as a Premier League player who they'd snatched away, sort of like a, a Leicester getting players from the French second division kind of steal is how he was regarded. And I guess just didn't gel 
with the team or with with um, with North America itself. I'm not 100% sure what happened there. And obviously a bit of chaos with the management as well with, with Miguel Hanhel Ramirez evidently not gelling with his squad or maybe with the back office. I, as I say, I don't have any inside intel on that one. And some of the players that he or he was regarded to have brought in, like Alan Franco, who he's... Te- I remember speaking with members of Miguel's team who were saying he he's the guy. Alan Franco is going to absolutely raise the bar in MLS. He's the one who just gets everything, um, who's back on loan in Argentina now. So some things hadn't worked out. But lots of positives as well, Joe, I'd say for this. I think Christian Galina, the goalkeeper, who had a bit of a shaky start, has been a superb goalkeeper, I'd say, throughout this season. Uh, some players like Brant Bronico, a player who, you know... You know, wasn't one of the very peak players in MLS. I think it's fair to say previously has become a regular starter and has really, really developed. I would say he's a lovely, lovely guy as well. Uh, ben Bender, the 28-year-old coming through as a generation Adidas player from the Super Draft, has emerged really, really well. I mean, maybe not making the team every week, but a superb talent as well. And Carol Svodersky, the DP. Um, I believe he's on eight goals so far. Um, did well for obviously for Poland um, in this international break as well. I think there's some kind of record about his goal scoring for a debut team as a DP. He's broken a record of some sort, I think. But I, as I say, Joe, a, a mixed season in many ways, but I'm pretty happy all in with how it's gone. Yeah, and I, I was curious about your perspective. Swiderski has 10 goals, so don't don't sell him okay. short there, Ryan, in your Charlotte, <laughs> Charlotte spiel. Um, I, I think there are certainly some reasons to be positive on this team. The fact that they have overcome all of their self-inflicted errors is is good, right, in some ways. It also it doesn't take away the fact that those errors were made in the first place, right? The, the fact that the manager has to be changed that early in the season is troubling, and I think there's still... I mean, you run through a lot of the players to hit on, and that, that's all well and good. They also missed on a, a lot of players, too. And you ran through those, too, to be, to be fair to you. So, yeah, I, I think a mixed season for Charlotte. I don't think any team in MLS should be happy, expansion team or not, about maybe finishing 10th or finishing below the playoff line with how many teams get into the postseason. But, again, Charlotte have performed a little bit better this year than I thought. There are some nice ideas about how they want to play. I don't, I don't think that they're really all that much of a contender this season, certainly, and probably not next year either. But another transfer window can do a lot for a team. And if they do hit on a couple more of those players this year than they did last year, we're, we're probably having a different discussion. But I was curious, writing the doc we put together for the show, I was curious about your thoughts on the Charlotte. So I, I know you gave me them. I want to try to summarize. So are you, generally speaking, are you feeling positive about this season? Do you think Charlotte fans are feeling positive about this season? Or are they bummed that they didn't shoot a little bit higher in the East? Well, I think the team set a very lofty goal. I, if I'm correct, I think the team wanted to home have playoff a home game. playoff in their debut season. Yeah, which is very ambitious, isn't it? And it's good to be ambitious, but uh, I think you know that that was a little too much, perhaps. I think on balance, there's been some great performances, and as I say, twelve wins, many home, a lot of home wins as well. Maybe not so yeah. much on the road, but I, I think it's been very good. There's lots of things the fans aren't happy about in terms of ticketing and and, and various things like that, which is another conversation altogether but from a sporting from a technical perspective I think there's been a lot of positives with with the players I've mentioned and with the room for growth I suppose as well and maybe Joe uh, Charlotte would look to Austin and what they've done in their sophomore season as as a bit of a roadmap perhaps is that possible? Yeah, it is totally possible, right? Trying to make that jump. And that's, that's what expansion teams should be trying to do if they can't make the jump year one. Like we've seen some really good teams do before in LAFC be good year one, Atlanta United be good year one. If you can't do that, yeah, try to make the jump. Don't wait 
for the the three-year plan for Cincinnati or, or Minnesota or whatever that looks like. Go and, and try to be ambitious and make that jump sooner rather than later. Charlotte needed more talent, in my view, to make that jump, but maybe it is Christian Latanzo who keeps that job for the future, and, and maybe he already sort of has an idea of what he wants to shape this team into. I don't really know what Charlotte are right now. I don't really know what they're going to be, but Austin has provided the proof that you can make a, a sizable leap from year one to year two. Yeah, and so to, to tackle your um, your previous question, Joe, more succinctly, everyone thought this team would finish bottom, and they haven't. So I think that's pleasing at the end of the day. And yeah, I'm 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 glad to be heading back to Charlotte next year. I'm going to have a season ticket, so I'm going to be back in this team, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I don't think there's any. I mean, I support. My my English team is in League Two and circling the drain, so it's got to be better than that, frankly. Sure, sure. Yeah, you you can't go down. That's for sure. You cannot go down. <laughs> Very true indeed. Why don't we though, Joe, take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got some listener questions to go through. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking MLS. Let's run through a couple of listener questions, Joseph. We'll start off with Mark McMurray, who got in touch to say, do you think the additions of Gareth Bale and the worst human ever, your words, not mine, Mark, have actually improved <laughs> LAFC's chances of winning MLS Cup? What needs to change about the way Bale plays in the playoffs to improve upon his most recent run of poor form? My honest answer to this is I don't know. I, I think they, those moves, Bale and Chiellini, to connect the dots there for anybody who doesn't know, Ryan hates uh, Giorgio Chiellini. So that's why Mark added that course. in his question. It really was Mark, not Ryan. I know folks might think it was Ryan. It was Mark. Uh, I, I really don't know the answer to this question. They were supposed to. And, and Chiellini, I think, does. I just still don't have a great idea of how this attack fits together and how you get the most out of Gareth Bale. It doesn't seem like he's been fully fit, fully ready to play. And I think there's been some truth to that. And so... He hasn't been this electric player all the time stepping on the field that I think LAFC would like him to be. He's had his moments, and he has two goals so far in like 300 minutes for LAFC, which is not bad, but he hasn't scored in a while. And so I think fans are wanting to see more out of him, and and they should, right? They should expect more. Dale hasn't scored since August 6th. So it's been like a month and a half for LAFC that he hasn't scored. He's not starting every game either, and I think that's fine. I I think these moves to get to Mark's question, I think they should increase LAFC's MLS Cup odds. I'm just not sure that we've seen enough evidence to say that they're a, a much better team now than they were before Gareth Bale and, and even Chiellini came to town. All right, Tom Ritz has asked, why is Portland such a wild card every year? What needs to be done to get some consistency through the regular season? I mean, I wouldn't I, say they've done terribly last season and this necessarily, but... Sure, I mean, they make it to MLS Cup last year, which is good. This year, they're sixth in the West. They were hanging out below the playoff line for a, a while, to be fair, so... I mean, they're, they need a, a better – I think they need better recruitment in some ways, and I also think they need better management. Uh, Gio Savarese, I think, is a, a fine coach. I think he's good at getting players motivated. He is not like a, a tactician. He has 
sort of this very simple way he wants to play. He doesn't often deviate from that. It's this usually four-man back line, a lower to mid-defensive block, and Portland just kind of cross their fingers and hope that teams don't figure them out, and they have enough talent to get away with that. But if you're trying to become a team that is is really good year after year, like Seattle had been up until this year, or like say LAFC have been in the West to keep things you know looking out West, you either need a ton of talent, and Portland have good talent, but not top-tier MLS talent, or you need a coach that is really going to be able to unite this group year after year. And I, I just don't know that Gio Savarese has the upside with this Portland team to do that. Maybe that's a, a stupid take because of how good they've been in the postseason and how they finished fourth in the West last year. I just feel like it's, it's pretty easy for teams to figure the timbers out. And if you want more regular season success, having a little bit of a clearer idea of different ways you can beat teams and how you want to structure yourselves and maybe becoming a little bit more of a modern tactical team, I think that could go a long way. All that said, Portland are a threat in the postseason. If they finish above the playoff line, it looks like they will. They are not a team that anybody's going to want to play, so maybe the recipe doesn't need to change. Yeah, they've got pedigree, Joe. Pedigree, excuse me. Um, I'm choking on my words today. I have a cold. I apologize. <laughs> uh, Puro SAFC has asked, uh, agree or disagree, USL is more entertaining than MLS. I tried to get into MLS this year, and I just can't. USL has more variety and drama. Uh Huh. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, that was kind of my reaction to this question as well. I enjoy watching USL from time to time when I have the time. I don't have as much to to watch it on a regular basis. Um, I would say the USL has a lot of variety and parity, as does MLS. Like, I don't know that, that I really, when I watch MLS, feel the need for more chaos and variety. I feel like MLS already takes that and, and turns the notch up to 11. So I think enjoying USL because you aren't a fan of how MLS operates or because you don't have a team in your area, those are all totally valid reasons and and you can just not like MLS and enjoy something else that it's totally your call I'm not saying people have to enjoy Major League Soccer for me I, I probably prefer watching MLS because I think there's more talent in this league but I don't have an MLS team in my market so supporting local soccer I, I go out to Phoenix Rising games going to see your local team play if if you know this, this person is in a market that has a USL team and not an MLS team is a great thing and, and certainly people should be doing that stuff so I don't think it has to be an either or here and I'm not, yeah. I'm not really sure that I view it as an either or I like a burger and I like a steak Joe they can both be enjoyed in their own respects amen Amen. All right. Uh, Let's go to uh, Paul Hanan, who says, this is a very local fandom-focused question, but does Minnesota have a chance to right the ship this year? Also, what's the outsider's view of Adrian Heath as coach? Minnesota certainly has a chance to right the ship. They have struggled in recent weeks, so they have not won a game, I believe, since August 27th. That's a long time. And this team was as high as third in the West earlier this season. They have a, a dangerous postseason recipe, though. Like I mentioned with Nashville, an MVP-level talent in Emmanuel Reynoso, who's not maybe putting up MVP-level numbers this year in terms of goals and assists, but is still just so dangerous. And they defend first, right? They've started to press a little bit here and there under Adrian Heath. And to get to an outsider's view of Adrian Heath, it is a very classic British manager who doesn't give a hoot all that much about tactics, but likes to motivate his players and has an idea of sort of how he wants them to function and leaves the rest up to them. So he wants them to defend first. He wants them to be dangerous playing through Reynoso in the attack. And I I think that recipe can have success in MLS. I think that recipe probably gets exposed a little bit more in other places around the world. But I don't think Adrian Heath necessarily, just the same with Gio Savarese, I would like these teams to have more diverse tactical ideas, but they've proven that you can have some success in MLS depending on what your goals are with that recipe. So, yeah, I think Minnesota can right the ship. They have Emmanuel Reynoso. That that kind of is an MLS all that you need to be able to beat a team on any given day. 
And so, yeah, Minnesota, if they finish above the playoff line, and I, I would expect them to, although I, I guess a lot can change. If they finish above the playoff line, like with Portland, like with Nashville, they are dangerous teams to play in the postseason. Yeah, finishing above that playoff line is their target, would you say, Joe? Uh, Thanks. Uh, because, because of Target, the brand, yes. the store. Yes. That's why that was yes, funny. Based from there, and it's on their shirt, and it, yeah. Right. Wordplay. wordplay. Oh, that yeah. was good. Yeah. That was really Thank good. You. Wow, Target. That's why I'm here. Thank you, Joe. Um, Lionel Hutz, uh, someone calling themselves Lionel Hutz on Twitter. Joe, do you know who Lionel Hutz is? I, I, I abstain <laughs> from answering this question. It's a Simpsons reference, dear. It's uh, 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 I, I, he's a wonderful attorney at law. Anyway, is he one of the, the well, he's, he one of the yellow ones with the jagged heads? Yes, that's he's one of them, indeed. Nailed indeed, it, Joseph. <laughs> Nailed uh, it. Let's get to uh, their question: If Todd Bowley decided to include an MLS team in his Chelsea multi-club model, which team should he purchase, and why are the San Jose Earthquakes the correct answer? Okay, then. I know, I know this is kind of a joke about the earthquakes, but that's not a bad option, right? In terms of their valuation right now, I haven't gone through the full list that Sportico dropped earlier this week, but I mean, they're not in the top tier of MLS teams valuation-wise, and they're a team that I feel like has so much potential, and I think folks recognize the potential they have, a really solid academy that's developing youth national team players right now for both U.S. and Mexico. They, I think this would be a really great pick for uh, an investor trying to come in I don't know if if the Quakes owner, Fisher, would ever sell this team. It doesn't seem like he's really inclined to do anything with the Quakes, but Luchi Gonzalez is coming next year. I think they are a team, it's hard to go anywhere but up right now, sitting in the bottom of the Western Conference all the way in 14th on 31 points. But, I mean, they're a team that has a lot of room to grow, and I think they will be better next year than they are this year. And then looking long-term, I mentioned the academy and, and the infrastructure and the fact that they're not valued all that highly right now. Yeah, if Todd Bowley's looking for a team in the United States, he could do a lot worse than find another team in California. He already has one in the LA Dodgers. Why not snag a soccer team over there? Yeah, I mean, already playing blue. I think they're Silicon Valley adjacent. There's there's lots of reasons to go in there. We'll sure. Sure. I like uh, it. Yeah. A couple more for you, Joe. This is from Wingding King. Uh, LA Galaxy appear to be a shadow of their former selves for the past four or five years. What does the current club lack that the Galaxy of old had that got them five stars? Uh, they've been bad at signing players for the most part. So a lot of the decision makers have been making bad decisions. So Chris Klein is in a position to make a lot of the front office moves right now, and he has whiffed on a lot of players. So you talk about Kevin Cabral, somebody they, they signed to a long contract as a DP. He has been a bust in Major League Soccer coming over from France. Samuel Grancier, another winger, another attacking player has been a bust for them. Douglas Costa coming in this past year, big name. Tons of talent on the ball. Hasn't stayed fit, hasn't been able to play enough, and, and when he's been on the field, hasn't produced. So he is also a bust for this team. That is damaging. And MLS, you cannot succeed, or it is Virtually impossible to succeed when you miss on that many high-profile players because you can't spend whatever you want. You have to work within the budget constraints that MLS has given you. So that's that's why the Galaxy look like a shadow of their former selves. Now, they are sitting in fifth right now. They have had a couple of signings pay off. Chicharito has improved very much off of his first season over the last couple of years. And Ricky Puj is brilliant, just as you would expect a former Barcelona central midfielder who was raised in La Masia to be. He is phenomenal, and he has helped this Galaxy team a bunch in that midfield. So they have quality. They haven't missed on every signing, and they're still a dangerous team. But with what they spend, they should be a lot better. And the root cause of that for me is the people making the roster decisions and the roster decisions themselves. 
All right, let's squeeze in one more question, Joseph, from Loud Questions. Uh, I don't know if I have to read this loudly. Maybe I'll try. Your colleagues, so. Paul and Sam, talked recently about whether or not there's too much equity between the teams in MLS. So kind of a conversation we're having at the top of the show. In your opinion, is that true? Why or why not? What sort of change in equity, if any, would you like to see going forward? A little bit. I think it's a little bit true. And I, I think I laid that out towards the beginning of the show. Like you said, Ryan, I think MLS would benefit from having just a little bit of a clearer idea who those those top teams are, which teams you should watch on any given Saturday, right? As we head into the Apple TV deal where all the games are going to be on Wednesdays and Saturdays. That would be helpful. I also think, you know, you want to pursue a model that that those teams at the top cannot, uh, you want them to be challenged. You want them to not be so entrenched at the top of the table that they're there every single year, like we see in a lot of different European leagues. I think that's too far. MLS just needs to find the middle ground. So yeah, I think that's true. And loosening the the roster restrictions just a little bit, right? I'm not saying you take the, all the training wheels off, although you know maybe that's the best thing. I think getting rid of the designated player rule would be a good start, or increasing the amount of allocation money teams can spend if they want to, or getting rid of homegrown territories altogether. And MLS sort of loosened the reins a little bit, very much a compromise. Now there's going to be a set list of players that teams can draw from. So other teams can now sign players from other areas technically, but it, it is it is a it's a step in the right direction, but it is still just a half step in the right direction. So, you know, getting rid of some of those chains, I think would go a long way. Let teams that want to spend spend. Let them be good. Let MLS be fun to watch instead of just trying to take down the overall product of the league simply to keep parity at the forefront. I think parity is good. I think this much parity is probably not so good. All right, look at you solving MLS, Joe. I'm proud of you, bud. Proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Without uh, without a Capri Sun, I would like to tell people, because even though Ryan said we were getting Capri Suns back in the first break, he did not hand me one. And so I've done all this without any Capri Sun in my veins. So be proud of me. Now I just want one even more, Joe. Oh, man, I miss that sugary goodness. Uh, in the meantime, though, Joseph, you were, you've been excellent as always in this podcast. Thank you very much for fielding all these MLS questions and much more. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. This was fun. It was indeed. And listener, hope you enjoyed it too. We'll be back on the feed with another one very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.